This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. I am joined, as always, with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get right into topic in just a moment. Before you do that, you can go to practicalshepherding.com and access all of our resources, books, articles, other podcast episodes, in fact. You can also go and leave a review for us. We still read those and check those, and uh, we welcome the encouragements. We welcome the critique, as long as it's really kind. Um, either way, but no, you go leave us a review wherever you listen on uh, iTunes, Spotify, whatever it is. We, uh, we appreciate your reviews there. And uh, we just thank you for those of you who support the ministry, and you can uh, continue to do that through the website. So thanks for those who uh, love us and encourage us and are grateful for the things we're trying to do uh, with all that we're doing, especially this podcast, Jim. So we're going to actually tackle a topic that was sent in to us uh, because we ask folks to respond to ways we can, the topics they want us to, to tackle. And man, if this is not a relevant one, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and that is the topic of... Uh, pastors who pastor smaller churches who have to do everything. So um, the scenario is quite common. Solo pastor, he's by himself. He's the only paid staff person. Probably or even bivocational. Maybe bivocational. Right. He's working another job on top of that. And he is having to do everything from preaching the pulpit to visit people to cleaning the bathrooms to turning the alarm on and off to turning the heat and air conditioning on and off, doing everything. Right. So uh, this, and by the way, we the we refer to that as a, as a normative-sized church. We are, People love to say small churches, but actually like 70% of churches are 100 or less right. in North America. So, you know, that that's the, by the way, if you're pastoring a church of 100 or less, you are pastoring a normal church. Exactly right. But the problem is most, all with ver- a few exceptions, most churches, a hundred or less, can barely afford to have one paid pastor. So that pastor so often is doing everything. And Jim, let's make this biographical for us. You planted a church here, and you, even though you had a team, uh, you had to work another job, and sure. you had you had to do a lot of things. You were the only paid staff person for a long time. I remember the years that uh, that I was doing everything. I felt like yeah. I was doing everything. And I remember I was preaching and cleaning the toilets the same the same week. Uh, so I know what that's like. I know what it's like to feel like you're doing everything. And to give you hope, if that's you right now, we both sit here as two people who at one time had to do that in our ministries. And eventually both of us, and our church still never got above 100 members. But there was a time I certainly was not having to do everything. So there is hope. There is a way to get out of that. And it's not growing three times the size so you can afford to hire staff. It, it's about raising up leaders and having people in the church to help you do this work. But the reality is in many revitalization contexts, especially uh, pastors are the only ones doing things. A lot of times if the, ch- if the church is elderly, they can't do it. That was my situation. I cleaned the bathrooms, Jim, because everybody was too old to be able to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> Which Since is I was I under right fifty now. at the moment, then that, that's the only, I was the only one to do it. So, what's what's just some biblical context for us to think about in this conversation? Well, I, I think we need to excuse me acknowledge first of all that there's something very wholesome in this. Um, when Jesus is telling us to be like Him, uh, there are two specific ways in which He articulates that. One is in loving each other, and the other is in serving one another. Yeah. And so he said, love, love like I love you, and then serve like I serve you. And, and he was a foot-washing servant. 
and you know that was said to you know to disciples who thought that was beneath them uh, they wouldn't they weren't going to do that and it's very interesting i think if you trace out I and mean, we've talked about this in another podcast but if you trace out that you know the in acts chapter 6 the apostles are involved in the daily distribution of food they did that in a way that overwhelmed them uh, and they needed help because they were doing they were doing everything uh, they were they were preaching teaching praying uh, counseling, but they were also involved in what we sometimes would call diaconal matters. They, they were making sure everybody got fed. And so in that case, they needed something, uh, so, you know, uh, others to help them. But that was a huge congregation. But the fact that you are willing to do this, that you not view it as beneath you, mm-hmm. is something that's very crucial. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you have 100 or 200 or 300 members, it should never be beneath you. Uh, that you have to clean up. Uh, I, I, I have um, a very powerfully in my mind, uh, when I was attending a church, a, a larger church, uh, for a time when I was in seminary, and the, uh, and, the, and, the, and the pastor of that church was internationally known. Uh, he was, and he, he, you know, the guys, people have written about him and talked about him, and um, a lot of people had him as one of their favorite preachers. But one of the things that hit me first that I saw in my first month or two there was after a church fellowship, and almost everybody was gone, was seeing this pastor going around the fellowship hall, picking up plates and cups uh, and wiping down tables. Huh. And he didn't do it in a way, hey, look what I'm doing. Notice what I'm doing. Hey, Jim, you're a young punk. Look what I'm doing. Make sure you're this kind of pe- but Hey, you're the young was- punk. Come do this for me. Or even to say, right. Jim, wait, why aren't you doing yeah. it? Why are you standing there gawking that I'm doing it? When, when, right. why aren't, why isn't it in your right? Uh, I may have been doing it too. I don't remember, but I let's just say I was because I want to be the hero of this story eventually. <laughs> no, but you know, you're but you're not. It's that guy I'm who's not doing the it. Hero. No, okay. right? But but it, it really struck me. Yeah, and, it, and it hit me. And I thought, well, that's not beneath. Um, you know, so you should be the kind of man that that that. Uh, don't resent it. Don't don't begrudge it if people like, hey, pastor, I need help moving. You're not doing anything. <laughs> they have that idea, like, well, you know, you you don't do anything during the week. You know, can you come? Can you get the truck? And or my toilet's clogged. Can you? Cause as long as you may get asked to go do that kind of thing. Um, you know, whatever the case might be. What you the hopeful thing to draw of that is that people see you as as a servant among yeah. God's people, yeah. and though they may recognize, hey, you're a pastor, and yeah, there's you have whatever you want to call it, some degree of authority in the church, but it doesn't prevent you from being the kind of person that would get on your hands and knees and yeah, and literally wash their feet if they needed it. Yeah, that's a good that's a good principle you're you're pulling out there, and I think also just the the shepherding text. You know, the First Peter five, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, and that's not just preaching, right? Or it's not just uh, visiting, or it's not just it's. You know, you, that's the the all encompassing work of being a pastor is what yeah. we, the buck stops with us. We're like we're if we're the ones called to shepherd the flock, and yeah. and, and, you're, and and when you say the flock among you, yeah, the flock among you might be a small flock, it's not a big flock, and you can't do what another pastor gets to do, or you know, and you have to recognize, all right, this is a flock I'm called to pastor. But but the building you you know you meet in, or the bathrooms that need to be clean, like all of that's a part of caring for your people yeah, well. Exactly right. And so I just want to acknowledge that many times pastors go into a church and they didn't prepare to have to do all all the things that they're doing, whatever ide- idealistic understanding of pastoral ministry they have. But the reality is pastoral ministry is a grind. 
It's a grind that most of what you do, nobody sees it on a, yeah. on a daily basis. And so going into the ministry, knowing, having that attitude, having that understanding of what the work is, can make this less jolting. I think what makes this hard yeah. for guys is, well, one, I just wasn't, ex- it was expectation level. I just wasn't expecting it to do everything. I, I feel the need to say that, you know, in my first few years at the church, uh, I because I just kind of casually mentioned, yeah, I cleaned the bathrooms for the first three or four years. But I need to add to that. I cleaned the bathrooms and had a terrible attitude about it. Okay. So because I didn't want to, I didn't think I needed to, but the bathrooms were disgusting. And I'm all, I'm thinking to myself, what you know, this is a dying church. Like, what do I? What are the things I need to address immediately that maybe is keeping people from coming and staying? Yeah, or that would ca- cause them to go. <laughs> well, a gross bathroom is probably pretty high on the uh, list, maybe. quite frankly. Yeah, that's, so that's interesting. That and the color yeah. of the carpet. But you know, I was trying to think of those kind of things, and that's what I went. I should add this too. I don't anymore, but kind of had a phobia of cleaning bathrooms. Huh. So the Lord in his hilarious and mysterious providence has me cleaning bathrooms. The one thing I am like neurotically uh, right. a concern, just phobia about. So got over that, by the way, by, by cleaning the bathrooms. But my point is my attitude was bad. And one of the things God taught me through that experience was there was a point where I just, I realized that, uh, I mean, just felt a conviction of the spirit and my bad attitude. And it, it kind of just sensed this that it, if you can't clean the bathrooms in the name in the name of Jesus to right. serve Him, you, then you're not worthy to stand up and preach in the uh, pulpit. Well said. And and I that lesson I learned carried with me for the for the rest of my ministry. And I'm not sure I would have learned it had I not been in a situation like that where I was felt like I was doing everything, kind of had this martyr complex about it. And was frustrated about it, and God really convicted my my heart about it. Yeah. Uh, now my my uh, part time job was a janitor, so right. I, I clean buildings and I clean toilets. This is toilets important for people I to hear clean, about. Right, this is know. important. And but so now we didn't have a building uh, for the first five six years that I was here. We didn't have our own building. We rented facilities. Uh, and one of the facilities that we rented was actually a building I used to clean. It was a small business college. Uh, and, and really wound up being a very nice space. But that did mean that you know, somebody had to get there. Somebody had to put out the hymnals. Somebody had to set up. We had a little keyboard, had to set up the key, you know, keyboard had to go with somebody who's in somebody's car. You know, the hymnals had to be brought there. The chairs needed to be set up. Uh, and those rooms had to be, you know, put together in a, in a certain way. And very often, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I had to teach and I had to preach, but I was also, I was very happy to be among those uh, who were doing that. And I felt it was, I thought it was good. I thought if I, I think even there is a benefit sometimes in, in churches as people look at their pastor to know that he can do work, you know, that, you know, because I think, well, he sits at a desk and he just, you know, he just studies. I mean, I do real work. I do backbreaking yeah. work. I do physical work. There's something to be said and sometimes that. it's good for them to see that, well, we, we can get involved uh, in that as well, oh, I, I think is an important, an important thing. I think it's not sometimes. I mean, I think that's if there's, if you need an argument, one of the reasons to be cleaning the tables and helping with bathrooms or whatever it is, is because it, it, it makes an impression just like you said it did with you watching that pastor clean, not expecting him to do that kind of work. There's something about doing that kind of work that shows you're willing to, to serve the body in whatever way, whatever the needs are. And that's going to motivate other people to be willing to serve in those capacities. Also, Brian, did you ever have a secretary? 
Never, I did not have a secretary. I, so, inherit, I inherited a secretary who eventually retired, and then she was never replaced. Right, so, so when the phone rang at the church, who answered it? Me. I, uh, I did, when, I, uh, when letters needed to be written or bulletins needed to be made in the early days, who wrote them up? Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty much me. <clears throat> who planned the order of service? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who picked the hymns? I did. Right, so you didn't yeah. have a worship leader or didn't have, at least for a time, no, eventually you did. Yeah. Uh, right. So those are the kinds, I mean, these are among the things. So yeah, it's not I've, just, not just a physical, but it's, it's the, uh, I answered the phones. I wrote the newsletters. Yeah, I called uh, the plumber uh, when there's uh, right, a plumbing right, right, issue. Right, if there's an issue, right. Yeah. The kind of things that maybe you'd say now, maybe in a certain setting, you'd have your deacons do now. Like, Hey, you notice this was out. You know, that, you know, I mean, my skill is limited. You mean cleaning toilets is well within my wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, fixing a plumbing issue too, or an electrical issue, or there's something wrong with yeah. the you know with the air conditioning. Hey, let, you know, let, let, let Jim handle that. I'm not that. I'm not that guy. Now we have guys skilled who can do that sort of thing. That's ah, not me. Yeah. Um, you know. I, yeah. I was going to. Well, there's a story about. I, I'll say this. I used when I worked manually. I, I was working at a time with an HVAC company. I have a hard time doing things like cutting a straight line. I'm like, <laughs> and I can remember once I was working on these, what are called acoustic tiles. There were floor tiles, uh, but need to have vents put in and trying to cut that stuff out straight that one of the, uh, it wasn't the owner, but it was like his uh, project manager came in. He looked at me one time when I'm 22, 23 years old. And he goes, it's a good thing you want to be a preacher, you know. So <laughs> good affirmation of your, of your yeah. calling, right there, Jim. I, I you know, yeah, maybe it's a little older than that, but anyway, it's just it's, that's not wasn't my calling. Yeah. It was not my ability, but I still, when, when it came time, and there were things at the church sometimes that needed to get done, and uh, coming in, and you know, uh, maybe you know, in the early days, especially uh, putting all the hymnals back after a. After a Sunday, just cleaning things up, tidying things up, or yeah. if, if the bathroom was messy, and eventually we did have somebody that um, you know came in, did some janitorial work, but but that you know you're there, you're available. It's not beneath you to to do when we say everything. So it's that stuff. But then, as we mentioned, it's also the it's the counseling, it's the uh, it's the order of service. It's you know so that for years I <clears throat> I taught Sunday school, I. Uh, led them. I, I I not only did the morning worship. I often led the morning worship. I I did the scripture reading. I picked out the hymns uh, to whatever degree we talk. <laughs> I'm not much of a singer either, but you know would try to lead in in, you know, in that matter and then preach. Uh, uh, and then uh, because we had a prison ministry and there weren't a lot of other men to do it, I would go do the prison ministry. And then in the evening, I'd come and do the whole thing again. You know, all over again. And, you know, the question that the guy asked, and I think why we want to talk about this uh, in, in what he wrote to us, is how do you do this without going crazy? Yeah. Uh, how do you keep that up? And in, 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 what if it doesn't change over yeah. two years, three years, 10 years, 15 years? That's where I want us to go, because we've established so far, one, well, this is apparently is, is pretty normal. Uh, this is pretty normal. You and I both experienced it. Yeah. I would say most pastors do. So, so far, what you need to hear from this is, one, you need to expect to do it at the beginning like this. As you're establishing yourself, you're going to see things that were not, hand, you know, were not being addressed and you want to address them. But the question, yeah, how do you do this over a long period of time? And it's, it's a recipe for burnout, by the way, if you do this like this mm. for many, many years. Yeah. So I guess what we want to say is, and this is where we'll go to, 
Uh, expect to do everything at the beginning. Hopefully you don't have to, but expect to do everything at the beginning. The benefit of that is you get to figure out how to do it exactly like you want to do it before you have somebody else do it. But you expect to do everything as a, as a small church pastor, the only staff pastor, all those kind of things. But if you don't learn how to ha- start figuring out a way to not do all everything all the time, you'll burn out. You won't last. And so that's really the nature mm. of the question. Let's go back and forth, Jim. What are some pieces of advice, some wisdom we would tell a guy that is in this situation? He's a solo pastor and he is he's the only one on staff and he's doing everything, but he's trying to uh, figure out now how do I, what, where do I go from here to where I eventually am not doing everything? How do I figure out how to hand things off? How do I figure out how to, what to do? Uh, what would be your first piece of advice as he tries to move forward in that? There's so many things that come to mind in this, Brian. But I think I think what I would say is you need to try to you need to be able to try to find as much as you can joy and contentment in your present circumstances. Because I think part of what 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 weighs on us is not just what we're going through, but how we think about what we're going through. And if we if if we if we can recognize that I would gladly spend and be spent, you know, f- you know, for their sake that that. This is again. It's not beneath me. It's not beneath my calling. Uh, I'm glad to be able to do this. My my concern is there's the difference between saying I shouldn't have to be doing this, and saying this doing this is taking up so much of my time from what I need to be doing. Particularly if you're bivocational yeah. and, and you got another job, a part time job, or even a full time job, and then you're doing all the diaconal work and all the secretarial work and all the pastoral work. Um, you need to try to, you know, because you need help in your present circumstance. We, we're going to talk about how to change it, or at least hopefully how to change it. But I guess the first thing I would say is to recognize that you're, you're in where you, you are where you are in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. You're, you're where you are because you have a heart that wants to love and serve people. Uh, you want to, you want to do all that you can, uh, to, to be a help. I think those are good things and content yourself and to be thankful that until it does change. So, so I think your attitude toward it yeah, and, and, a, and a recognition that these are, these are also good and noble things. Yep. No, that's a good one. It just doing whatever you're doing is under the Lord. Yeah. yeah like that's a, that's a good piece of advice. Here's, here's one I would, I would throw out there. Um, if you are doing everything, then you have to recognize that you're one person and you can only do so much. Right. So the reason this leads to burnout is when we realize we're the, we're the ones feeling like we're doing everything, we all of a sudden put the pressure on ourselves that we have to do everything. Right. And the reality is you may not be able to do everything. Right. So I would part of the advice in these early years is prioritize what really needs to be done. Do all you can. Do it as unto the Lord. Yeah. But the things that don't get done, don't sweat them. Yeah. And, and you have I think, to triage. Yeah. And then I think, you, Brian, with that, if I may say, just piggybacking what you're saying, you may need to communicate that to the congregation. And I want to be careful how I say this. But, you know, the scriptures sometimes tell us to do something, and it gives like a little caveat, like show hospitality without grumbling. Mm-hmm. Uh, love one another, but do it sincerely. You know, that kind of a thing, yeah. because yep. there's a wrecking. And so I want to say, you may need to communicate that to your congregation, but do it without whining. Do it with, in a way that's not sounding self-serving. Do it in a way that doesn't sound like complaining. Well, but you might need to say, "Listen, uh, you may the bulletin wasn't able to get done this week." Yeah. 
or um, I know I know you I, I know many of you love it. You've always had it. I uh, I'm we are not going to be able to do that for the uh, for the time being. You know, whatever it is, something that you you might be able to look at and go it, like a guy in the you know the the balloon that's about to crash in the mountains. He starts bailing out of stuff out of the you know out of the basket. Well, you can't throw your kids. You can't throw your wife. Uh, but you may start looking at okay, what can I do to with for ballast here? And you might maybe you might need some help in looking at what's filling up your time and say this can go. This is it, it's 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 appreciated, it's useful, but it's not necessary. Well, and I'll, that's good. I will use that to to jump into another piece of of advice I would give, and that is as you're doing all the things you're doing, try imagine. What are some of these things that I actually could hand off to somebody in the church if they'd be willing to mm-hmm. do it? So when you do stand up and publicly share with people what's going on, use that as a time to say, like, so yeah, there, there's no bulletins, and, and I just need you to know that this is not. We're not going to have bulletins for a while. This is just not something I can prioritize. However, if there's someone who would be willing exactly. to take three or four hours a week to come in, I can help you figure out how to do this, and you could do it for us. And we actually could have bulletins. Now, uh, so I, I think to take advantage of speaking to the congregation about the things that need to get done but aren't, some people may not want to volunteer until they're not going to get the thing that they actually want. And then that actually can be a real motivator right. for people to, to jump in and, and be able to help. But you also have to prepare, if you're willing to stand up and go, we're not, just can't get to this at this point you got to be willing to prepare to take some criticism around that because there's going to be like, well, pastor, what do we pay you for? We pay you to do the bulletins. We pay you to, to do all this stuff. And you just got to prepare for the criticism that's going to come, but realize yeah. you still have to embrace the fact, your, embrace your humanity. You're one person. It's all you can do. But you do need to start thinking about, from the beginning, I think, even though it may take years before you can hand something like, I cleaned the bathrooms, and then we finally had some younger folks start coming to the church, and I still cleaned the bathrooms with somebody, but we alternated. So then I had to—I only had to do it every other week, and eventually they took it from me. But it was, I was three, four years in, but mm. from day one, I was thinking, uh, trust me, I was thinking about how long do I have to do this before I can hand it off to somebody. So you always want to be thinking about what what is the kind of task— you can't hand off, you know, your sermon prep to somebody. You can't hand like you need to know what are the things that fall into the category of being a shepherd. But then, what are you can hand off delegation to building maintenance stuff to maybe yeah. a deacon or somebody else in the church who can handle that for you. What's another one for you? I think Brian, at some point, you may need to try to lovingly and carefully instruct your congregation as to what a pastor is and what a pastor does and to uh, cause them to uh, appreciate that. And, you know, because it does say in the scriptures that it's command for God's people to highly esteem in love a pastor for his labors on their behalf. How does that happen? It doesn't just come up saying, look, I'm going to preach a text and you all need to highly esteem and love what I do. Well, they need to understand and sense what you do. And then, and then again, hopefully by God's grace, if these are Christians, <clears throat> they will prize what you do. Um, it's hard sometimes as a pastor to do this and, and maybe very difficult to do in your own congregation. When I read a passage like that, I, it's hard for me to think of myself, and I would have a hard time preaching that to my congregation. What I do is I think about my pastors and my past 
who fed me the word of God, who counseled, who, 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 who taught me how to exegete the scriptures and how to know more about Jesus and more about who God is and more about what the Christian life is. And that's life transformative. Those, those men changed my life. And I highly esteem them in love for their work's sake. Uh, and so in order to do that, many, con- many congregations, if, if, you, if you gave them a quiz, what is a pastor and what does he do? They've had one all their lives. They're going to be 60 years old, and they've had a pastor since they were five years old. And they have some vague idea about what you do, but they don't, they don't understand what goes into a sermon. They don't understand what, what preaching takes out of somebody. They don't understand the burdens of souls and, and all of that. At some point, they need to be able to be instructed you know, on those things in order that when they read a passage like that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it, it, it's unpacked, and not just exegetically, but through life experience. Yeah, that's good. And, and I also think that as I'm listening to you share that, the one thing, the, the one powerful tool that usually helps a pastor eventually get some help is a congregation that eventually grows to love him. Right. So as I'm listening to you talk, I was like, yeah, yeah, there's a certain level of knowledge a congregation needs to have about what a pastor should be doing and should not be doing. That just That's important for them to know. But what I've found is when there's just a, a, a true, genuine, organic love for that pastor, sure. they're looking for ways to care for him and to maybe help and serve him. And I found that a, a congregation that grows to love a pastor is a, a congregation, usually the ones that are willing to help and jump in, especially if it's going to relieve some of the burden off of him. So that takes time. You know, that's why I think we say you got to prepare to go into a church situation like this. But hopefully in five years or 10 years, you, you're, you're not in that, which, which leads to the, one, the last piece of advice I wanted to give. If you, are, uh, if you are pastor of a church 10 years later and you're still doing everything, you have to ask yourself the question if you're part of the problem. Yeah. And if you stink at raising up leaders and you stink at delegating, you're going to be in this spot in 10 years. I promise you that. Yeah. So you want to work yourself out. You've got to have an honest evaluation. You've got to be self-aware of your gifts and where you need to grow. And not raising up leaders, but also being willing to get delegate. That means giving yeah. somebody something that maybe they won't do as well as you. Yeah. But you but you need to, to give that away. Yeah. I got a quick story on this. Yeah, go ahead. So there was a pastor I, I got to know who pastored the same church for 30 years. Uh, it grew to like five, 600 people. And the pastor was beloved. Uh, and I may have told a story on a podcast for, but it fits here. And I was, I was, we were, we were doing a wedding together and we were, had some downtime to just chat. And he was, he was, I say, uh, proud of the fact that up to the day he left the church, he retired up to the day he left the church, that he was always the first one at church and the last one to leave. And he was the one that turned the heat on. He's the one that turned the heat off. He said, even my sons, as they grew up, they, they they came with me and we did this thing together. And I remember just, I just remember asking him puzzled in that moment. It's like 600 people in this church. You've been there like 30 plus years. You're beloved. Why? Like it's, that's a role that any of those 600 people could do. Not you. Why in the world are you, are you the one doing that? His answer, I'll never forget. He says, because when I did it, I knew it was being done right. And when I heard that, I thought to my, that was just kind of the epitome of just a, uh, the reason that pastors don't know how to delegate things in their churches, yeah. they 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 want to control everything. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I, that always stuck with me. And so if you, if you are doing this, ten, if you're doing everything 10 years later, very likely you, it's your own fault you're doing all of that. <laughs> and I want to encourage you to evaluate how well do you delegate and how willing are you to maybe give a task to somebody who's maybe not going to do it as well as you, but it's somebody who's willing to do it. They could be competent at it, and it's one less thing to get off your plate. So, Jim, final word on 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 how a pastor can can move into not having to do everything in church. Yeah. Well, again, part of how do you not get crazy? Yeah. Uh, so you know, so you know, I think again, you have to lovingly and clearly inform the congregation of need. And, and I think you either have to, Brian, you talked about, you know, get, getting volunteers. I think sometimes you might need to assign, and sometimes you might. And sometimes, again, you're going to send an email out. <clears throat> so this is, the, this is the general reality in almost any society. We need help. There's 100 people in that society, in that tribe, whatever it is, 10% are going to respond. And 90% are going to think somebody else is going to do it, right? Yep. It's, you know, the old uh, somebody, anybody, nobody Anybody could have done it. Somebody didn't do it. So nobody did. You know, the, the three people in every church, uh, you know, there's an old saying about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, anybody, somebody, and nobody. So, you know, so 10% are, are going to be the, uh, that, that, may, that may respond. And sometimes what happens is, I, I have found with people, is that some people are very poor initiators, but they are good followers. And, and so what that means is you come alongside somebody and say, hey, could you um, – could you help meet this need? But if you'd put it out there and say, can anybody meet that need? They, they, they would never respond. But if yeah. you go to them specifically and say, Hey, once a month, you know, the, you know, we need your family to be the one that, that gets the building ready for Sunday mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, this is just part of what church life is, is going to be. And, and to be able to feel okay about, about giving that. And, and, you know, Brian, you said you may be in a situation where everybody's older and they're not able to do that. But I think you need to be able to assign, you need to be able, you have to inform, you can't just expect, people aren't always just going to pick it up and figure it out themselves. They need to be told, these are the things that need to be done, um, and, and if you want them done, I think they ought to be done, you know, to beautify the building, to allow this to be nice for visitors, and to make yeah. things run smoothly uh, yeah. when we gather here, uh, folks who need your help. That's an excellent point. Like Part of shepherding is knowing that there could be people who want to serve, but they just don't know how. We want everybody to take the initiative, but just some people don't take initiative. Right. So I, that's an excellent point. Like you got to know your people. You got to know your type A's who will step up. And, yeah. But then you need to know the person who's servant-hearted but just doesn't know they're needed until you just went up and, and talked with them. Right. So I, I think you're right. This is part of shepherding. This is part of discipleship in the church. And again, five, ten years in, like you should know your flock. Hopefully their love for you in general is growing. And you're able to you know you're able to move yourself into a position where you actually you know you actually have some help in, mm. in, in the work that you're doing. So, Jim, why don't you take a minute and and pray for pastors who are maybe feeling even on the edge of burnout? Like, how much longer do I have to do this? God just gives mm. them wisdom as they're trying to figure out how to get some help around. Yeah, sure. Father, thank you for the hearts of of servants out there who desire not only to feed the flock and take care of them but 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 do not count it beneath them to be involved in these other uh, practical aspects father we know and you know that at times it is wearying and uh, and that some of these uh, feel stretched beyond themselves help them lord wait upon you we do pray that you might 
<clears throat> send uh, men and women into the congregation with a heart to serve, that the congregation might be able to grow. Deacons and others would be raised up. Uh, but Lord, in the, in the meantime, uh, help your servants to pace themselves, to triage well what needs to be done versus what could be done. Help them to rest content in your providence and not to miss uh, the heart of their calling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.